we exist to come alongside people who are hurting, who are broken, who are messed up, to come alongside them and give them love and to give them grace and to give them encouragement until they can rise above it and walk on that path on their own. We are Pathway Church, located in Burleson, Texas. We worship together, we serve together, and we grow together. Well, good morning, church. Hey, my name is Judy Madden. If you haven't met me before, I am the pastor of care here, and uh, I am excited about being here this morning. Rick is out of town. He asked me to bring the word to all of you who are online. I just want to welcome you along with everybody else, reiterate what Melissa had said that we welcome you to this place, and it is always my prayer that everyone who comes here today and anyone who sees this message, whenever it is, that you will experience the power of God with you, that you will know without a doubt that your burdens have been lightened because God is present. So as we go on today, we are getting into the fifth part of our sermon series, How Do I? And on today, uh, we're going to be camping out again in James 3. So if you want to turn, if you have your Bibles and you want to open them up, get out your smartphones and check them into them, we're going to be going to James 3 last week. Rick did a little bit of James 4, and today we're going backwards a little bit. And today, the question that we are getting to is, how do I find peace? You know, it has been one heck of a week, one heck of a month. Uh, It seems like in this place we call the United States of America, we have a lot of discord and dissension right now. A lot of things are happening. People inside uh, are uh, troubled. They're feeling a lot of angst because of decisions that have made because of happenings. Uh, There has been news. If you turn on the news, you're going to see things about the April 6th event. You're going to see things about division between uh, women's rights and pro-life. You're going to see things that just bring you to your knees about how uh, 50 plus people died in the back of a semi. You're going to see things that bring you to your knees if you haven't been um, kind of shut down. You'll continue to see how Ukraine is being just completely gutted. All because people are in this earthly wisdom platform. So today we are going to be talking about how James tells us about earthly wisdom and godly wisdom. And I think God knew that this was the question that we needed to address today. How do I find peace? Especially on this weekend that we celebrate the birth of the United States of America. So how do we get to that where we can find that peace that leads us to freedom? You know, I believe, before we get started, I believe that God is cheering us all on. 
That God, every single day, is saying, come on, we are all on the same team here. We are all coming together. I created you all to be living together in harmony. And so God, every single hour, is praying that we will lead in that direction of peace. So before we jump in the scripture, let's reach out to God in prayer. Will you join me, please? Gracious Lord, God, you know, this is a weekend that we want to celebrate where we experienced freedom from an oppressor. And God, we want to uh, be proud of that. But Lord, more so in any other place, we want you to be proud of us, God. We want our actions to reflect your wisdom, not the world's wisdom. We want your love to be so powerful on this place that's called earth that one day every knee will bow to you and call you alone the King of kings and the Lord of lords. So God, we pray on this morning that our ears would be open, that our eyes would be open, that we would hear your word, that you would strip us down, that we would know that you are present with us, not because of anything that we've done, but because of everything that you have done for us. In Jesus' powerful name we pray, amen. Okay, so the book of James, we're going to dig right in there and we're going to chapter 3. And the book of James is known as Wisdom Literature. And this little book has a whole lot of wisdom in it. The key scriptures today that we're going to be looking at is James 3, 13 through 18. 13 through 18. And it's all about two kinds of wisdom. There is this earthly wisdom and there is godly wisdom. And I don't know about you, but when I am um, trying to figure out something, when I want to know about something and I want more information and I'm looking for wise information, I go to somebody who I feel is wise. One of those people was my grandfather. He knew four languages in his teens and he could speak them all. And my grandfather, he was very wise. And when he talked about these languages, he would tell me, um, Judy, you know that when you say someone's name, it is respectful to say that name in the way of the origin of which the name came from. So meaning if somebody was from France, I would speak their name as it is in, Fran in French. And if somebody was German, I would speak their name as it is pronounced in German. So that was very important to him. And so his name was Theodore. He was a German immigrant. He came over here in the 1920s, in the late 1920s. And his name was Theodore, properly pronounced Theodore. Now, another way that I think that we find wisdom is through knowledge. And several of you here know my story. At, at almost 50 years of age, I went back to grad school to get my master's in divinity to seminary. And when I was in seminary, there was, um, we had to take a language 
it was a requirement. And so I took Hebrew. Hebrew, yeah, I'd be crying about that too. Um, because I didn't like that Hebrew landing. <laughs> so, uh, so anyway, I took Hebrew. And Hebrew, uh, you know, there's a lot of different words. And if you know Hebrew and you're in the house, please don't ask me to speak to you in Hebrew as you leave because uh, it's not there anymore. Um, but one thing that I do remember is that there was one word in Hebrew that in the Old Testament that came up over and over and over again, and that word is Israel, right? I mean, that was all over the Hebrew, all over the Hebrew Bible, the Old Testament. And I found out the proper pronunciation of Israel is Israel, Israel. And so when I was given the opportunities to speak up here from the pulpit when I was going through grad school, I came up and I would, I would share the scripture and I would read the scripture and every time I got to the word Israel, I would say, Israel, Israel. Ah, it sounds beautiful, doesn't it? Israel. And I thought every time I did that, that I was honoring my grandfather, that I was doing that and giving great honor and respect to the one who taught me to pronounce things in their own language. But when I look back, I'm not sure that's exactly why I was doing it. When I think harder, and I think if I was thinking harder in that day and just trying to figure out why I was saying Israel, I think I might have discovered, and I have discovered, that it wasn't so much to honor my grandfather as I thought in my mind, but I believe that when I searched my heart, it was this desire for affirmation. It was this desire to be acknowledged that I had gone back to grad school when I was 50 and that I was able to actually learn something. And it was my desire that other people would know that I had learned things, right? You know, that, that kind of thinking kind of stinks, doesn't it? I mean, I was up here reading scripture, and I realized, you know what? I might have been a stumbling block to those who heard when I was reading scripture. If every time you heard me and I was speaking and I was reading out of God's word and I was saying, Israel, I may have been a stumbling block to some of you actually hearing the word of God. It's interesting when we really take the time to think about why we do things. My wisdom the Apostle Paul refers to in 1 Corinthians chapter 8 as puffed up knowledge. Puffed up knowledge. Man, I, I read that and I thought, yeah, that was me. That was me. And I think that that was probably the people that he was speaking to when he wrote this letter. The leaders of the church that he felt were full of puffed up knowledge. Or, it, or James, well, that was Paul, and then James was probably thinking of that as well, only he called it earthly wisdom. 
So today, we're going to look at the difference that James tells us about earthly wisdom and godly wisdom. So James, as he does, so craftedly uh, puts together a question that kind of brings people in, right? And James does that again in this chapter 3. Verse 13, he says, Who is wise and understanding among you? Who is wise and understanding among you? Now, in order to kind of get the real scene of what was happening here, we go back just a couple of verses and we hear this. He's talking to the same crowd. He says, My brothers and sisters, uh, does a spring pour forth the same opening, both fresh and brackish water? Can a fig tree, my brothers and sisters, yield olives? Or can a grapevine yield figs? Well, of course they can't, right? And all of these people were probably saying, no, 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 no. A grapevine can't bring forth figs. And an olive tree can't bring forth this other. Of course not. And then all of a sudden he asks this question, who is wise and understanding among you? I'm, I'm sure several people in their heads, if they didn't lift their hands, they all were thinking, I am, I am. I knew the answers to all those questions, right? And then James throws out this. He does, I don't think he even stops after this question. I think he goes directly on. He says, who is wise and understanding among you? Show by your good life that your works are done with gentleness and born of wisdom. So all of a sudden, they are all like, whoa, put on the brakes here. Because I was hammering somebody about doing something just the other day. But I knew all the things that you said, that you were talking about, James, so I'm full of wisdom. But now you're telling me that my life has to show gentleness? In order to have wisdom, I'm not sure that I get that. James understood that godly wisdom was not head smart. But godly wisdom comes in knowing God. And it shows up in a life well lived. A life that promotes peace. As we journey on this search for peace today, here James gives us two types of wisdom. So we're going to dive into these a little bit more. The first that he talks about is earthly wisdom, and it's found in James 14 through 16. And this is what he says about earthly wisdom. He goes on just right after that, show by your good life that your works are done with gentleness born of wisdom. But then he says, but, but, if you have bitter envy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not be boastful and false to the truth. He says, such wisdom does not come down from above, but it is earthly unspiritual, devilish. For where there is envy and selfish ambition, there will be disorder and wickedness of every kind. 
Now, when we delve into this earthly wisdom, in your notes, if you're taking notes, number one is earthly wisdom causes division and discord. This type of wisdom is self-centered. It's not God-centered. It teaches, it leads us to experience this feeling that because of what we have learned, because of what we have experienced, because of the position we hold, it means that we deserve or are entitled to respect, that we are entitled to be acknowledged by the work that we do, that we are entitled to be given a position of authority. So there's this quandary as Christians about this type of mindset. How do we hear godly wisdom when we are full of bitterness and envy from worldly wisdom? You know, number two in your notes, when jealousy and envy fills our hearts and minds, there is little, wi- little room for God's wisdom to grow. When you think about this, if you had a big planter and you filled up the dirt with earthly wisdom first, and then you had just a scooch of space for godly wisdom. How much peace, how much of a plant would grow out of that? Earthly wisdom is selfish. It is boastful. It is at its core harmful. Socrates is said to have envy is the ulcer of our soul. Take that in if you've ever had an ulcer. I meant envy is the ulcer of our soul. It eats away at us. And then another famous philosopher, Aristotle, called envy that which we want but another has is this certain sorrow. And the way that he wrote it, it was like a certain sorrow that would bring you down to your knees. This type of thinking rationalizes that we, when we have more, another must have less. It's a competition. When I was thinking about this, I was reminded of the 2020 competition for toilet paper. Do you remember that? If I go out and I swipe all of this toilet paper, I've got it. And I'm the savior for other people who need toilet paper because, boy, I'm not going to let my family end up without a square, right? But then doing so, I have just caused a lot of other people to end up without squares. That's what this envy is all about. There is no peace with earthly wisdom. There's distension. There's discord. John F. Kennedy once wrote this about peace. Those who make peaceful revolution impossible make violent revolution inevitable. Whoa. You know, he wrote that a long time ago, and he also wrote it a long time after World War II. But when I think of somebody who is full of earthly wisdom, unfortunately, because of my heritage, 
I think of Hitler. And I think that this comment from, that we just read from Kennedy certainly could attribute, could be used to describe what Hitler was like. You know, Hitler, uh, he fully embraced this earthly wisdom thing. And there was a quote from Hitler that said this, what good fortune that those of us in power, for those of us in power, that people do not think. That was his whole theory. That people won't think, that they'll just buy into whatever. He thought that he, if he could convince a few and persuade them to give up their godly wisdom and to grab a hold of earthly wisdom, that he would be able to convince masses and rid the world of inferior people. And he understood that if he promoted, if he gave to others, that he would get their buy-in. This earthly wisdom of Hitler was low to the ground and it grew slowly and with a very heavy hand. And it created evil of all kind. Hitler was not doing anything for the good of the whole. He was bitter. He was full of envy. He wanted to control everyone. He wanted to take rights away from the people. He was manipulating the facts and opinions and controlled the information that was being disseminated. He did it in such a way that people bought into it. You know what Hitler did? Hitler gave every home a brand new radio. When they were in a time where they couldn't afford something like that and the radio was the thing, right? So he gives them this radio and he has, the, and everybody's thinking, oh man, this guy is so wonderful. They're giving us radios. But what people didn't understand was Hitler also controlled all of the information on the radio, the propaganda that was being fed to them. So as they were listening to this great new radio, in their heads were all of these sound bites coming in that other people were inferior and that they were superior. It was this very slow-moving process that was happening, very manipulated, very calculated, and it led to wickedness of every kind. In fact, it led to the Holocaust and the persecution of almost 6 million Jews and at least 5 million prisoners of war and women and children that they deemed were inferior, maybe just because of the color of their skin or the color of their eyes or their nationality or their religious beliefs. They became inferior and were just killed for it. He manipulated he was boastful about telling false truths. Characteristics of earthly wisdom include boastfulness, vile practices, disorder, envy, wickedness of every kind. It is unspiritual, as James tells us. It is demonic. It is hate-filled. Now, earthly wisdom in your notes, number three, earthly wisdom of man 
delivered Jesus to the cross. Earthly wisdom of man delivered Jesus to the cross. In the writings of Jesus' persecution in Matthew, we're told that he was taken before Pilate for judgment. And Pilate knew that Jesus was innocent and should not be crucified. But those in the crowd were swayed to those with the largest, loudest voices yelling, Crucify him! Crucify him! So after they had all gathered together, the crowd, Pilate says to them, he asks them this question, Whom do you want me to release to you? Barabbas or Jesus, who is called the Messiah? For he, Pilate, realized that it was out of jealousy that they had handed him over. This is what James is talking about. This earthly power that can be so evil. Now Nelson Mandela understood this earthly power. And he also understood godly power. And he knew the difference between them. He understood that he could not be persuaded by earthly wisdom if he were to ever find peace. Nelson Mandela, if you remember, was imprisoned for 27 years for speaking up against apartheid. And this is what Nelson Mandela had to say. As I walked out the door toward the gate that would lead to my freedom, I knew if I didn't leave my bitterness and hatred behind, I'd still be in prison. Man. That is worldly wisdom. That is, sorry, godly wisdom. And James has this to say about godly wisdom. It is found in verse 17. He says, But the wisdom from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, willing to yield, full of mercy. And good fruits without traces of partiality or hypocrisy. Godly wisdom is not glamorous. Godly wisdom is not famous. It's not wanting to be in the spotlight. Godly wisdom is not powerful in worldly ways. Godly wisdom in your notes brings about harmony and peace. Godly wisdom is described in different versions of interpretations of the Bible as this. Pure intentions of building up love, of bringing peace, gentleness, peaceable, friendly, full of mercy, good fruit, no partiality or hypocrisy, and also it is meek, willing to yield. Now that one meek kind of is something interesting to us because we hear that word meek and we think of the earthly definition of meek. And this is the earthly definition of meek. It's quiet, it's gentle, but here it comes. It's easily imposed upon and submissive. But godly 
definition of meek, says in Beatitudes that the meek will inherit the world. What a flip-flop that is. But here we're looking at powerful people. He says it's not going to be the ones that are boastful. It's not going to be the ones that are building themselves up. It's not going to be the ones that have everything at their disposal. It's going to be those who are gentle. Those who bring about peace. Those who open up the conversations to hear both sides. Those are the ones that we're told will inherit the earth. You know, these people, James tells us, who will inherit the earth, they understand that true wisdom doesn't come from within themselves. But the true wisdom comes from God. And it comes from this relationship with God. It comes from us listening to God, who is more powerful than all other and gentle in delivery, always looking toward other people and trying to build up a relationship with Jesus. You know, there are a lot of times when I hear people who are reading what Jesus said and there's an exclamation mark. There were no exclamation marks in the original text. I just want to point that out. There were no exclamation marks. But people will read this and they'll say, and Jesus said da-da-da-da-da-da-da. Whatever it is. Oh, I don't think Jesus ever spoke like that. I think Jesus always had in his heart to help the other person to understand what was going on. So I think every time we hear Jesus speak, with the exception of when he overturned the tables at the temple, I think every time that we heard him speak, he was speaking and he was saying, you know what, I just hope that you'll be able to understand this thing called love. I hope that you'll be able to understand what godly wisdom is all about. So a person that I think lived a godly life is Mother Teresa. And she had this to say about peace. She said, if we have no peace, it's because we have forgotten that we belong to each other. Oh my gosh, how many of us have forgotten that we belong to each other? That we aren't on the planet for the planet to serve us, but we are on the planet to be with each other. That we belong to each other. You know, how many of us woke up this morning, maybe with our own agenda? You're going to come to church, then you're going to go do that, then you're going to go do this, and oh, I forgot I had to pay that bill. And we were thinking of all of these different things and our own desires. Oh, we need to go and look at that and research that. But how many of you right here right now, how many of us have those things in our minds already? And maybe... Maybe, just maybe, we have already closed off our listening skills. And we have already started thinking about something else. Maybe my voice has put you to sleep. <laughs> you know? But God is calling us to hear what God has to say. 
Earthly wisdom tells us that the more that we do, the busier that we are, the more we will have, right? And here is what Mother Teresa describes about busyness. She says, without patience, we will learn less in life. We will see less in life. We will feel less. We will hear less. And then she goes on to say, ironically, rush more means less. Rush more means less. Because as we go through this life, if we are so busy that we don't slow down to hear God, boy, we have just missed out on what God wants for us. I have visited with countless uh, couples over the years, helping them to learn about how to communicate with each other. And it's not just couples, it's families, it's parents and children. And I have learned that we, the biggest thing that causes division is a lack of communication and the inability to resolve a conflict. So today, we're going to go through uh, six steps of how to resolve a conflict. They're on the back of your notes, if you have notes. If you're taking them in, they'll be there. But I think the key to all of this is what we started with, that in James 1, 19, he says, be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to anger. And some of you may be saying, yeah, yeah, I've heard that. I heard Rick say it. Okay, we've been trying to do that. I think I'm doing it. But we keep on having the same argument this week as we had two weeks ago. And I would, I would ask that person, you know, how would you describe quick to listen? They might say, well, Judy, I sat down with them for 30 minutes and I just let them talk and talk and talk and talk and talk. I was quick to listen. And I was slow to speak. In fact, I, I didn't even say anything. I just sat there and listened and listened and listened. And then I didn't even get mad. I didn't get mad. I walked away from the conversation and I never got mad. Never raised my voice, never got mad. Nothing changed, but I was quick to listen and I was slow to speak and I never got mad. <laughs> and I would say to them, are you really listening? Are you really slow to speak? Are you really quick to listen? Or in your head when you sat down, did you immediately shut down your brain? Did you not listen at all? But in your head, were you speaking? In your head, were you all, all of these things, all of your thoughts in your head that you wanted to say out loud, but you weren't? You were just sitting there? Were you really slow to speak? Or did you already start that conversation in your head? And were you really slow to get angry? While you were sitting there, did you feel your blood pressure rise? 
Did you feel yourself get all angst inside, all torn up inside? Because if you did, I would say you probably weren't slow to get angry either. So this is really called just being physically present with someone in the room. In order to listen, we need to give full attention to provide this safe space where people can share their opinions and not immediately be judged by them. Knowing that we love each other, bottom line. So in your notes today, real quick, I know the time, so real quick, we're going to go over these. And if you want to have help in doing these, please give me a call and I'd be happy to sit down with you. Or if you're online, I'd be happy to talk to you through email or a phone call. But here are the six ways. The main goal is to find peace by coming together and being on the same team. So here's the first, define the problem. Define the problem and define the problem without blaming someone else. Now, number two, all parties write down how I contribute to the problem. Now, this is a huge one. It is a game changer because when we're thinking the problem is always with the other person and we don't have anything to do with it, we're not going to be part of the solution either, right? So how do I contribute to the problem? And then next, write down the things that you've tried but that didn't work. Write down the things that you tried but didn't work. Those things, uh, you know, some people could say, well, we haven't tried anything at all. And I would say I would beg to differ. I think you have already tried avoidance. And so maybe we should start with that one as something that you have tried. And you already told me that you ended in a yelling, so you know that doesn't work as well. So write down the things that you've tried and get those off the table. Next, brainstorm ideas of ways to solve the problem. Brainstorm of ideas to solve the problem. And then you're going to look at those problems, number five, and you're going to pick one. Pick one that you will feel will be the greatest chance of being successful. And then number six is the key. Before you decide to take that step and decide on, hey, we're going to try this, each person specifically puts down what you will do to create the greatest chance of success. Okay, if you do this, I'm going to do this. And then the other person would say, I'm going to do this. And we're all on the same team working together. The problem is the problem. The problem is the problem. Get back there and face it together. So what would God look like if we approached all problems? What would godly wisdom look like if we approached these problems? It would be giving that space for the conversation. It would be giving peace a chance. It would be dropping all of these earthly wisdom things that we think we're so full of. And it would be giving an opportunity for God to step in to the middle of it. C.S. Lewis wrote, God cannot give us happiness apart from himself because it is not there. There is no such thing. 
If God's not in the middle of this conflict resolution, if God's not in the middle of your life, you are not going to find peace. We are living in a messed up world right now. We certainly are, and I think we've always been living in a messed up world. But here's the thing. We do not have a messed up God Our God knows what we need. Our God knows how to give us what we need to have a peace-filled life, a full life, an abundant life of love. That's what God wants us to do. And he wants us to provide us with overflowing with everything that we have. James 3.18 kind of wraps this whole thing up about wisdom versus earthly, godly wisdom versus earthly wisdom when he says this. He says, and a harvest of righteousness, a harvest of being right with God is sown in peace for those who make peace. Number five in your notes, our final note here. We are called by God to be peacemakers. Somebody asked me, where do you find peace? I've got a job that uh, many of you know about because I've seen you and I've been with you when members of your family have died, when there's been crises, when you're having issues, and life is not good. And so I have a lot that I take home with me in my head. And I say, where do you find peace? I find peace when I cry out to God in my prayers. And I ask God to strip me of everything that's earthly and to fill me up with godly wisdom. I find peace when I don't stand in the way of God. We choose godly wisdom to guide us, and that is how we find peace. If you would please pray with me. Our gracious Lord, we come to you in prayer because, God, we are looking for peace. God, we want to hear you. Lord, we want to know your plan for our lives. God, strip us of everything that is earthly. Get rid of all of our envy and our bitterness. We lay it down at your feet. That we might provide a little bit of heaven here on earth. So God, today we pray together, whether we're here in the house or whether we're online or whether you're watching this at a later time, we pray your prayer. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. God, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the power and the glory 
forever and ever. In Jesus' powerful, healing, and peaceful name, I pray. Amen. So what would it look like if we all gathered together and we all experienced God's wisdom instead of going to earthly wisdom? Maybe this place would be a little bit more peace-filled. And maybe if we all called out to God and said, let peace begin with me today, we would see a difference. Thank you for joining us. If you would like more information on Pathway or to get connected to a ministry, visit our website at pathway.church. We look forward to growing with you as we worship together. God loves you. God is with you.